I am so excited about this freeway series. I can't tell you guys how powerful it's been for Pastor TJ and our staff to be able to walk through this together and kind of go through it. There are some areas of life where I didn't even know I needed freedom in, and all of a sudden we start going through this book together and we start listening to these messages together, and so much freedom came out of it. So I want to encourage you guys, after service, we're going to have these little workbooks available that you're going to do throughout the Connect Group semester, and these are going to be available in the lobby after service for $10. The cost is actually 16 but as a church, we were like, you know what? We're just going to make it available for 10 so you guys can have a lesser cost so that you can experience the incredible freedom that comes with going through this series and going through this book. And so make sure that you pick one of these up, that you take that little connect group guide that's in your bulletin today, that you find a group that you want to be involved in and just mark off one of those boxes. Then later on in the service, you can throw that card in the offering bucket as it goes by at the end of service, or you can turn it in at the freeway table in the lobby. But whatever you do, don't leave without signing up for something. Because over the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to continue to have these signups. The books will continue to be available. So anytime over the next few weeks, you can definitely jump in and get involved so that when we launch on June 10th, you guys are a part of the incredible thing that is going to happen here this summer. Well, my name's Shayla, and I am Pastor TJ's wife, and I actually lead our Pompano Beach campus, and so I don't actually get to be over here with you guys all that often, so it's such a joy and a pleasure when I get to come over here and see all of your faces, new faces that I may not have seen before, but Pastor TJ is actually in Ohio visiting with his family this week, and I was telling him about some things that I had had on my heart that God had just really been impressing on me, and he's like, you know what? Why don't you share that? And this week kind of comes out of the story of Gideon. And Gideon was this guy that was this really insecure guy when God showed up in his life. But the end result of his life and who God makes him to be is this mighty warrior. And I want to talk to you guys over the next few weeks just about the progression of Gideon's life. And how he took this man that was in this insecure place and turned him into something that was this warrior that was this deliverer of these people. And as I was thinking about these, this message, I was thinking for some reason just about relationships in life. And a lot of us have many different relationships in our life, whether it be public relationships or private relationships, whether it's with our families, relationship with our coworkers. You know, we all have these different relationships that we're entering in on a daily basis. Some of this, them are just friends that we hang out with and have a good time. Some are casual relationships. Some are very deep, intimate relationships. But we all have a lot of relationships in our life. But I think there's one relationship that we don't pay a lot of attention to. There's this one relationship that can be really unhealthy and destructive in our life if we're not careful. And that is our relationship with ourselves. See, some of us don't realize is that we do have a relationship with ourselves. We view ourselves differently than we view other people. We're probably the hardest on ourselves. We're probably the most discouraging with ourselves. We usually don't really see the best in ourselves. Actually, we probably always see the worst in ourselves because we know what's going on up here. So we constantly are in this battle with ourself and how we view ourselves and how we even view life stems out of our relationship with ourselves. And social media kind of hasn't made this a whole lot easier because I don't know about you guys, but I'll be scrolling through like my Instagram feed or something like that and I'm like, oh man, you know, that person, they just always look really good in their photos. I never look that good. Like, I don't, I don't wake up and look like that. How do they look like that when they wake up? How many of you know they took 10 different pictures and put 50 different filters on it in order to get the picture that they posted on Instagram? But that's who I compare myself to. Or I'm looking at these people that are like going on dates with their wife or with their husband, and I'm like, seems like they're always doing these cool, fun dates. Why doesn't TJ ever do that for me? And I just get like, oh, my relationship is terrible because TJ doesn't do these things for me. And I'm constantly comparing the highlights of someone else's life, the good moments of someone else's life with my everyday life, my everyday insecurity, my everyday struggles. And so I take my life and my relationship with myself and I compare it to the great things that I see in other people's lives. 
Or I'm like, oh, that family looks so happy. Or man, they seem like they go eat out to eat all the time. They're always posting about food. How do they have that kind of money? I don't have that kind of money. Is something wrong with me? And there's just this constant cycle of this comparison to the highlight of somebody else's life with the everyday of my life. And as I was thinking about this message, I was on Pinterest. And how many of you guys have seen like the Pinterest fails? It's hilarious. So I found a couple and I want to show you this first one. Okay, so somebody probably thought, I can totally recreate that. You know, regardless that this person probably makes cakes every day and like that's their job and it's what they do, but I can do that. Poor kids showed up to the birthday party and you have demented SpongeBob on the table and the kids are crying and the mom feels like so defeated. Fail. So how about this next one? Everybody looks at a picture and is like, oh, I could totally do that. That would be a great Christmas card. That would be a great card to send for my family. I'm just going to cut out the holes in the pumpkin. I'm just going to stick my kid in there. And voila, it's going to just be an adorable photo. And then it turns out like this. And you're like, man, my kids are ugly. And we just kind of like have this comparison thing because it's not turning out how they took 50 pictures to get one cute picture. This next one is my absolute favorite. Okay, so the one on the left, I'm sure they took a whole bunch of shots to get that one, and they probably photoshopped it, and they probably did all of this other stuff with it to make it look really cool, and then this girl thinks, like, she can totally recreate it and ends up failing. And I think we, we try all of these things in our life, and we try to be like these other people, or we're constantly comparing ourselves to what other people look like or the pictures that other people are posting, we're constantly living in this insecure, defeated place. Because we're not good enough, we're not like so-and-so, we're not this person, we're not that person. And we just end up having this really, really negative outlook on our own life and who we are. When the reality is nobody really is posting all of their failures on Instagram. Nobody's posting the fight they just had with their husband or their wife. Nobody's posting that they just got reprimanded by their, their boss. I mean, some people do when, you know, you get the complainers on Facebook and they just think, you know, everything's tragedy. But we constantly compare ourselves to those things in life. And it just gets us to this place where we're super insecure. And I, I get this all the time. People come to me and they'll be talking to me and they're like, oh, Sheila, you just have your life all together. I mean, you guys, like you're in ministry and you're doing this and you, just, you always know the right things to say and you just have such great insight into this and you just must not have any problems or any issues. I mean, you're a professional Christian. You know how to deal with everything. And I'm like, I have you guys Because I must put on a really good front that everything's going on because inside I'm a mess. Things are jacked up. And today, I want to kind of talk to you guys from a place of weakness, not from a place of strength. They tell you that if you want to impress people, talk from a place of strength. But if you really want to impact people, talk from a place of weakness or vulnerability. And this morning, I just want to get real with you guys. One of the biggest struggles in my life is inadequacy. I feel inadequate every day of my life. I wake up and I face two different people. I face over and I face under. I face overwhelmed and underqualified every single day of my life. I wake up. And I feel overwhelmed by the responsibility. I feel overwhelmed by my circumstances. And I feel completely unqualified to handle any of it. And I live life feeling inadequate. And sometimes I even ask God, like, are you sure you picked the right one when you picked TJ and I? Like, are you sure you really meant to do that? Because I don't think I have what it takes. 
I really don't know what I'm doing. And I tell God that all of the time. So I face this dilemma in my life every day, feeling overwhelmed and underqualified. And I don't know about you, but it's been a struggle to turn off those voices. It's been a struggle to overcome some of those things. And how many of you guys know things could be going great? You can be having the most awesome day, and all it takes is one interaction with one person to turn it all around and to start that tape playing in your head. You're not good enough. You messed that up again. You're not worthy. You just messed it up with your boss. You're not good enough. All of those different things that start playing over and over and over and over in your head. All it takes is one thing. And I always ask myself, how can I shut this thing off? I'm so sick of this tape that keeps playing and playing and playing. Does it ever end? And I just get stuck in this place where we're constantly questioning if what we do is enough. Is who I am enough? And we struggle through life. And today we're going to look at the story of how Gideon went from this insecure place. What was the progression that God brought him through? And so if you guys will open up your Bible to the table of contents, because let's be real, most of us don't even know where the book of Judges is. So it's going to go like this. Let's see, table of contents. Let's see. Matthew, Mark, no, nope, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. It's on page 423. Guys, turn to 423. Got it? Nobody brings their Bibles. Everyone has their smartphone. So we're going to look at this verse in Judges, and it's Judges 6. And this is the start of where God sees Gideon and wants to bring him to the place of his potential. And what's happening in this place right now is that there's this group of people called the Israelites. And God has brought the Israelites out of slavery with Moses, and then another guy takes over, and then another guy takes over, and the guy that has taken over in this time, his name is Joshua. And Joshua has had Israel in the promised land for the last 40 years, and there's been quite a bit of peace in this time. But Joshua dies. And when Joshua dies, it's like all morality dies with him. It's like all of the morals and the values and all of the things that were good before have now gone out the window. And these people have gone back to living these crazy lives. And they're not being obedient to what God is telling them to do. And they are being just berated by these people called the Midianites. And so what happens is Israel is without a leader. And so in the book of Judges, when Joshua dies, God raises up a group of judges to begin to lead these people and govern these people. And it's not necessarily judges in the way that we think that a judge would be. God is raising up leaders, men that can lead spiritually, men that can lead militarily, if that's even a word. And so Gideon is one of the people that God identifies that he wants to raise up to deliver these people out of the hands of the Midianites. And what's happening in this context is the Israelites are harvesting these crops They're producing these crops, and every time they come to harvest, the Midianites are coming in, and they are destroying, and they are taking all of their crops that they just harvested. Now, this is their livelihood. This is their life. This is how they survive. Every time an animal has a new, I don't know, litter or whatever you call it, I don't know. Every time they have this birth that takes place, the Midianites come in, and they rob everything, and they steal everything. And so they're in this place where the Israelites feel totally defeated. And that's where we're going to pick up the story of Gideon. And it's in Judges 6, 11 through 16. And I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to go back and we're going to break it down a little bit. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. That was before a TV show. That belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. 
When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. See, God has a plan for Gideon. He shows up in Gideon's life, and he says, Gideon, I got a purpose for you. You're going to be a mighty warrior. You're going to be the one that delivers these people out of the hands of the Midianites. And Gideon's like, excuse me? Me? See, when, when God goes to Gideon, when the Lord goes to Gideon, Gideon's in this place. It says he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, in those days, when you thresh wheat, here's how you do it. You go up to the highest place in your community, your village, whatever it's called, and you take the wheat and you throw it up into the air and you allow the wind to blow it and the wind blows out all of the chaff and the rest of the wheat falls to the ground and that's what you bundle up and that's what you use. And so you have to be in a place where the wind is blowing in order for that to work. Well, this says that Gideon is trying to thresh wheat in a wine press. Now, a wine press doesn't have a whole lot of air circulation, and in those days, a lot of these wine presses were carved out of rock, which would have meant it may have been in the side of a mountain or a cave or a cavern or something like that. So God shows up in Gideon's life when he is in the midst of hiding from his circumstances, when he's in the midst of running away from the place that he's supposed to be. And God shows up in his life and he says, hey, Gideon, mighty warrior. But Gideon's in a place where he's trying to, to hide from everything. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times in my life where I want to hide from my circumstances. I don't want to face reality. I don't want to deal with what is happening in my life right now. I'm at the most unlikely place, the place where I'm not supposed to be. But God is showing up and he's saying, hey, Gideon, mighty warrior. Hey, wimp, hiding out in the wine press. You're a mighty warrior. See, God is speaking directly to his potential. Even in the middle of when Gideon's hiding. See, I think our, when we look at our circumstances, we can get discouraged. We can get overwhelmed. We can want to run away. We can want to hide. And it holds us back from being the people that God wants us to be. See, God knew Gideon was a mighty warrior. But that wasn't the reality of Gideon's life and circumstances in that moment. And it goes on to say that when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon said, pump the brakes, God, hold up a minute. He's like, pardon me, Lord, but if you're with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did the, not, did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But the Lord has abandoned us and given us over to the hand of the Midianites. Basically, what Gideon is saying is, yeah, God, I know that's who you think I am, but this isn't how I thought my life was going to turn out. This isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't the place that I'm supposed to be in. I thought it was going to be different. I thought you were supposed to do this and that, and I was going to be in this place or that place, but his life wasn't turning out how he thought it would. And I'm wondering if some of you guys are facing that today. You're looking at your life and you're saying, yeah, maybe God has good things, but this isn't how it was supposed to be. My life isn't turning out how it was supposed to. And I'm looking at my life right now and I'm saying, God, I thought it would be different. But 
God still looks at Gideon. And you know what? He doesn't even address all of the things that Gideon just said about how he thinks his life should be. The Lord just skips straight over that. And he's like, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. He's like, Gideon, I ain't trying to hear all that. Like, let's just go. I've told you who you are. Let's go. He says, go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? And again, Gideon goes, pardon me, Lord? How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. See, Gideon responds, me? Oh, no, 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 not me. I'm the least. I'm the weakest. My family's not good enough, and I'm wondering, who told Gideon he was the weakest and the least? Who told him that? You know what? Gideon had grown up in a culture where maybe people constantly put him down. Maybe people said, oh, no, no, your family isn't of that status. You can't be that. You're not good enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not educated enough. No, 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 not Gideon's family. And especially not Gideon because he's the littlest. You know what? And he had grown up with this mindset that he was the weakest and the least, where God was looking at him and saying, mighty warrior, and he was saying, oh, no, I'm not. And I'm wondering in your life, who told you that you were inferior? Who told you that you weren't good enough, that you didn't have what it took? Who told you that you couldn't be the person that you know you can be? Who told you you weren't valuable enough, that you weren't good enough? And it's brought you to this place where maybe God does have a plan for your life, but you can't believe it for yourself because of what you've been subject to your entire life. That you don't believe anything good can come from your life. And what I would say is who told you that? See, why do we let people, why do we let people's views of us and opinions of us handicap the potential that's inside of us. And the question that I have for you guys is what's holding you back? Is it your circumstances? Is it fear? Is it people's opinions? Is it your opinion of yourself? Is it that life just hasn't quite turned out how you thought it would? And you've decided it's not even worth it. What is holding you back? See, when God shows up and he shows you who you are, your first reaction is probably going to be, no, I'm not. Nope, not me. I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm not called to do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not capable enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not lovable enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But how God sees you isn't based on your pedigree or your performance. It's based on the potential that he's placed inside of you. See, God doesn't measure you based on your lowest moments. He measures you based on your highest purpose. But the problem is, most of us are living our life based on the lowest moments and the most defeating things in our life. So how did God take Gideon, this insecure man, and bring him to the place to be a mighty warrior? And I think there's three things that God does with Gideon it is so powerful to getting us to the place that we need to be to discover who God wants us to be. And in Judges 6.25, it says, That night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and it says, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. See, the, the Lord tells Gideon, Tear down your father's altar. And there's a lot of us in here today 
that need to tear some stuff down in our life. We need to remove it. Because basically what that altar represented was mindsets and mentalities that Gideon had had in his, whole, in his life for a long time, that had been in his family, that he had been surrounded with. And what God's telling him is, Gideon, you need to tear down some of those old mindsets, how your family told you you were, how your family operated, what was happening in your life. You need to tear those things down because that's not who you are. We need to get rid of the negative words, the comparisons, the things that may have been done to us. And we need to get rid of it. Maybe for you, maybe it's habit, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's even a, an addiction to, I don't know, wealth or success or any of those things. Maybe it's what you've been told your whole life, but it's, we have to tear down some things in order for God to get us to the place where he can speak life and encouragement. We have to tear down. See, those altars that were there, they were there to idolize a false god. And I think some of us have been idolizing a false mindset, a false way of thinking for far too long. We've been placing our value and our worth in the wrong things. We've been thinking about ourselves in the wrong way. We've been viewing ourselves based on our failures and our insecurities and our worries and what other people say about us. And it's time that we stop idolizing those things and we begin to tear them down. It's time to stop determining our worth and our value based on what other people say, what our position is. In Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, it says this. It says, since, since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Basically, he's saying, now that you're saved, now that you know about me, now that you believe in me, it says everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. He says, get rid of it and take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside out, inside working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. I want you to underline the word accurately. Because there are a lot of us in here that have an inaccurate view of God. We have this view of God that he is out to get us. That he is just watching and waiting for us to screw up. He's waiting for us to mess up. And he's just got his finger on us, just holding us down. But the reality is, is God has something incredible for our life. But we have to get rid of our old thinking and allow God to reproduce his character, the accurate character of God in our life. In order to do that, we have to remove the old. We have to tear it down. When TJ and I were first married, we were going to move in with my grandparents because they needed some help around their property. They had a lot of acreage and they had this big house. And so we were going to remodel the upstairs and kind of make it like a little apartment. And luckily we decided to do this in the beginning of our marriage because we were still in the honeymoon stage where, where it's like, oh, when you swing the hammer, it's so cute. And oh, you're just, your sweat smells amazing. And you know, like all of the things that you're like newlyweds and it's just so great. Nowadays I would be like, will you stop? You're annoying me and you stink. So luckily it was when we were first married. But we're up there and we're like ripping out all of this old shag carpet from like the 70s and like the pink tile and all of this crazy stuff from back in the day. And there's all of these old magazines from the 70s up there, like Time Magazine and all of these different things. And we're throwing it out. It's just old and it's been sitting there and there's like rat poop in it. Half the pages are eaten. It's just disgusting. And my grandpa comes up there and he hasn't been upstairs in 15 years. And he, he comes up there. He's like, what are you doing? 
I was like, Grandpa, we're getting rid of all this stuff. Remember, we talked about this, like, we're getting rid of all this so we can remodel everything, but we have to tear it out first. We have to throw it away. And he's like, but those magazines are from the 70s. Yeah, we haven't looked at them since the 70s. So they're going in the trash. And so he's like, no, 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 don't do it. And he turns around to go downstairs to get something. And TJ and I are like, fast as we can, like dumping those things out the window into the dumpster. Because the reality is, is if we tried to keep some of that old stuff, that nasty stuff, that stinky stuff, that smelly stuff, when we put the new stuff in there, do you know what's going to happen? All of that stuff is beginning again to permeate into the new things. The new things are going to begin to smell like the old things. And it's going to have an effect on it. We have to begin to remove the bad things from our life, the negative things from our life, the junk from our life, in order for God to begin to do something new. See, after God tells Gideon to tear down his father's altar, he tells him to build a new one. In Judges 6.26, it says, Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. On top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as an offering. See, reconstruction always follows demolition. We have to tear down the old, the false, the negative ways of thinking, and we have to rebuild what is true. And what God is telling Gideon is you need to build up a new mindset. So he tells him to build a new altar to the Lord and to replace the false idol with the true God. He's changing Gideon's mindset. And we have to begin to change our way of thinking if we want to be the person that God created us to be. We have to tear down the old and we have to rebuild the new. In Romans 12, 2, it says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. See, when we rebuild a new mindset, we realize that God's plan for us is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. It's not the God that, that is there staring down at us, waiting for us to make a mistake. He's saying when you have the right thinking, you can see things in the right way. We have to learn to stop letting the past and the worry and the insecurity and the fear and the negativity plague us. You know, as, as a staff, when we were going through this freeway book, I started it and I was like, man, I don't, I don't need freedom. I, I'm good. I'm good. And as, I'm, as I was looking through it, I was like, this is so simple. Like, how am I going to get anything out of this? Like, this is, I mean, they have, like, pictures and stuff in there. Like, circle this, check this off. Um, do you sleep with your smartphone? Like, crazy stuff that it's asking you. And as I was going through it, I was like, how, how is this going to help bring me freedom? And I went through the first week, and I was like, oh, maybe there is a few things in there that I need to deal with. I went through the second week and the third week, and things just began to unfold in my life. Fourth week, fifth week, I got to the sixth week, and I was like, whoa, I feel so much lighter. I feel so different. And there were so many just simple steps in this process to get me to that place, and at the end of each chapter, it asks you, how do you view yourself differently? And then it says, how do you view God differently? And I remember looking at my first week and then looking at my last week. And then the last week, I wrote just a simple thing, and it said, I am enough. Because so much of my life, I've tried to be successful in what I do. I've always tried to challenge myself. I've always tried to better myself, improve myself. I'm constantly striving for something. And through this, I realized 
to be anything different than who I am. I am enough. And it was such a powerful truth for me. It seemed so simple that it was freedom for me. Of God saying, Shayla, you don't have to add anything. You are enough just how you are. And it was so powerful to me. But the process helped me to remove the junk from my life. To remove my false way of thinking and to begin to build something new and something different. How I saw myself different. How God, I viewed God differently. It's so important to begin to remove those things. In Philippians 4.8, it says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I'm not going to lie. That is hard. Because my mind tends to go straight to the negative. And the things that I'm not good at and how I'm failing and all of those different things. But he's saying, you have to fix your thoughts. You have to focus. You have to focus on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. You have to think about those things. Maybe you need to find some scripture that you can hold on to. Maybe you need to surround yourself with some people in your life that believe in you, that see you differently than other people see you. But you have got to figure out a way to build up the right things in your mind. The Bible says in Proverbs that as a man thinks, so he is. Our thoughts are so powerful. And if we don't change our mindset, our life is never going to change. Because you can't live a positive life with a negative mind. You have to rebuild your thinking. I want to go back to the second part of the verse in verse 26. Because I think there's something in here that's extremely important. In Judges 6.26, at the end of it, it says, Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Now that second bull, earlier in the verses, said it was a seven-year-old bull. And a bull at the age of seven is a prime age for like reproducing and all of those different things. So this is Gideon's livelihood. This bull is significant in Gideon's life. And God's saying, look, Gideon, I know you think this is significant. I know that this is your livelihood, but I want you to lay it down. I want you to put it on the altar and I want you to sacrifice it. See, God's telling him to sacrifice something that is of great value to And I think there's a lot of significance in that because sometimes in order for God to take us to the place that he wants us to be, we have to sacrifice some things that we find significance in. You know, maybe there's some things that you have in your life. Maybe there's some things that you found significance in, whether it's your job or your status or your success or all of those things. And God's saying, I need you to lay it down. I know you find worth, I know you find value in that, but you need to sacrifice that because I have something different, I have something better, I have something greater. And when we sacrifice the things that we think are good, it opens up the great things that God has for us. Now it's one thing to know what to do, it's another thing to do it. See, we can know we need the right mindset. We can know we need to remove the old things and build up some new things in a different mindset. But the reality is just knowing that doesn't change anything. You have to be obedient. You have to take action. You have to do something with those things. In Judges 6.27, it says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But then it says, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than at the daytime. See, even when you're obedient, 
It doesn't mean that it's not hard. See, you can have obedience and still have fear. But it's when fear keeps you from obedience that we get in trouble. See, there's a lot of things in life that we're looking at. And we can say, I want these things to change. I want something different. But if we don't ever change, if we don't ever do something different, then our circumstances remain the same. Maybe you're looking at me and saying, Shayla, I don't really know what God wants me to do. I don't really know what my next step is or what he's telling me. And I want to tell you that he tells you every day. If you just open up God's word, even this morning, as we realize if we tear some things down and we build some things up, our life begins to change. Gideon. His story ends, and we're going to talk about it a little more next week. His story ends being a warrior. But there were some things that he had to do that he had to change in order to be that man. You can't want a different life but never do anything different. We have to be obedient. You know, leading up into this message... was probably one of the most difficult months that I've experienced in a long time. I've never been a very insecure person. But over this past month, this overwhelming insecurity has begun to plague my life. Feelings that I'm not good enough, not worthy enough. You're not a good leader. You're not this person. You're not that. You're not TJ. And there's been these thoughts and these fears and these worries and these anxieties that I felt just tearing me up inside. And I know the right things to do. I know how to overcome it. But taking those steps is something totally different. And I had to, when I was in those moments of those thoughts telling me that I couldn't do this, that I'm not a good communicator, that I won't do this well. I had to take those thoughts and I had to recognize that that was a lie. And then I had to say, God, who do you say I am? And he said, Shayla, you're enough. He said, Shayla, just be obedient. Just get up there and speak the words that I've put inside of you. See, maybe there's some of you guys out there. And you're struggling. You have a lot of stuff going on up here. And it's messing with everything in your life. morning, I want to just encourage you. Be obedient. You know what obedience was for me? It was just being who I know that I truly am. It's not trying to be someone else. It's not trying to strive to be something different. It's to be me. Maybe your obedience is recognizing today that something's got to change in your thinking. Maybe obedience for you 
is just letting go of some old things. Maybe it's having a conversation. I don't know what it is for you today. But I know that there's a lot of us that are struggling with thought, struggling with infertility. Can you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? See, I think we're one decision, one act of obedience, one choice away from completely transforming our life. And I don't know what that one decision is for you. It can be simple. But you have to make the decision. And if you're out there today and you're struggling with your thoughts, I want to pray for you today. If you'll just slip up your hand. All over the place. Thank you. Father God, we come before you and I thank you, Lord, that you don't see us in our lowest moment. You don't base our worth on that. You see us based on our highest purpose. that you knit us together in our mother's womb, that you formed us, that you have a purpose for us. In Jeremiah, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And God, I pray that today that you would tear down, that you would demolish any negative thoughts have overtaken the minds of the people that are sitting here today, Lord God, I pray that today would be a day that they step forward into taking control of those areas of their life, God, and that they begin to build up the positive thoughts, God, the thoughts that you think towards us. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to endure, to fight through those things, to be strong in those things, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you have freedom for us. You have life for us. And God, today, I pray, would be a new beginning. A new mindset would be created this morning. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name.